out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it is going to be the turn of Miles Lansden, who I spoke to very recently to find out more about life, love, poetry and much, much more. And uh, he was in a band from 1980 to 82-ish. Well, it could have been more. Anyway, Miles Over Matter, and they have a compilation out there. It's titled The Vagabonds of Psychedelia, the anthology 1980 to 1982, featuring such classics as Something's Happening Here and Also Park My Car. Anyway, enough of that. This is the interview with Miles, and after several minutes of casual chat, we got down to um, that very interesting subject that was kind of, uh, yes, the compilation that came out and uh, the beginning of his kind of, I suppose, the band years. And then we go back in time. Then we go forward. It's a very random interview conversation, really. So look, enjoy it. Uh, Take notes. I'll test you at the end. Anyway, Miles, tell us more about how your musical moment happened in the 80s and then we go back to your 60s check it out yes uh, it all started off with uh, a nightclub you know Clive from Doctor and the Medics he had a place called Alice in Wonderland and all the people that were really into you know 60s psychedelic the seeds and you know really early Sid Barrett and things like that and he used to play tracks like the Monkeys down there, and they'd have live bands. Right. So I'd always go see all the bands, and then I had a band, and I asked if I could play, and we used to play quite a lot there. Well, that's interesting, because I suppose it was um, Phil. Oh, God, I hope it was Phil who I spoke. <laughs> it was somebody from... Yeah, Mo- the lead singer of Mood 6. Mood 6, and yes, he was talking about the amount of scene, the scene that happened in South London during that period. So look, what's quite interesting, though... Because I'm, you know, without giving too much away, I was born 64, so I'm now in my mid-50s. So, you know, like the formative years for me was kind of the early 70s, you know, the world that was glam rock. What were your kind of earliest kind of musical moments that sort of put you onto the path that was going to be music and being in a band? Well, my mother is a songwriter, a lyricist. She's... um called Fran Landerman, and she was a beatnik in the 50s, and she wrote two famous jazz songs called Sprinkling You Up the Most and Ballad of the Sad Young Men, which was sung by Ella Fitzgerald, Roberta Flack, Chaka Khan, Shirley Bassey, all the famous divas or whatever. And so we were from America. I'm originally from St. Louis, and my mum's from New York. And we came here during the swinging 60s in 1964, and my father took one look at Carnaby Street, the King's Road, and thought, wow, this is great. So we were on a holiday. We said, let's stay a little bit longer. And, of course, my father, he met some, quite some good people like Peter Cook, Dudley Moore, all that. And then they started going to all the clubs. And so my father, in the 60s, decided to run a nightclub called the Electric Garden, which is in Covent Garden. I think you know it as the Rock Garden in Middle Earth. Yes. And on the first night, I remember the first gig I ever went to, it was Yoko Ono tied to a chair, screaming her head off, and then the crazy world of Arthur Brown. 
you know, song Fiery come out, and I thought, wow, this is great. Yes. And we got in with him and went to all the festivals, you know, um, the bar festival. And being young, I was about 11 years old, my brother, we were on, in America, and my cousin said, how would you like to go to Woodstock? So we went to the Woodstock Festival, and it was brilliant, if you can imagine that. My God, that's... that's 11-year-old cool. little kid. You were and, at Woodstock? Uh, and I came back, and we came to the Isle of Wight. We see Bob Dylan, and I was asleep at that. But then I always wanted to be on stage, and I watch all these great artists, like Jimi Hendrix and stuff. I thought, wow, I'd love to be up there. So stayed in my room, played the guitar for like two years, practicing, writing songs. And I got a band together. Do you know Mob? Uh, Phil Daniels. Oh, yes. Quadrophenia. Yeah, yeah. We were in a group together called Renoir, Impressionist Rock. And it was in 1977, 78, during the uh, punk era. And, of course, we were into Yes and Genesis, and we were playing prog rock. And uh, a friend of mine knew the slits, and, of course, the lead singer, Ariana's mum, was going out with Johnny Lydon, and we were in the background, and everyone was, you know, hanging out with each other. So he'd come over the house with the slits. And... Um, it's funny because in those days, not music, it's not so snobby, you know what I mean? Punks would hang out with different types of people, everyone, even the psychedelic people and everyone, they're all mixed match. You know, like the 80s, you go to any of the nightclubs, the Batcave? Well, to be honest, no, I'm based in sort of the Norwich, East Anglia region, so we were slightly... Oh, right. Yes, we, we, I did miss... what about the gigs? Did you ever see Bowie? Well, I, well, um, to be honest, I, I, the first time I saw Bowie, I, I get, get into that age, was kind of 83 with, with Serious Moonlight. And then I saw him again. I saw him at Live Aid. And then I saw him at these, um, the big one with the spider, the, the uh, Never Let Me Down concert. Oh, yeah, Glass Spider. The Glass Spider. So I saw that. And then I saw Reality. So I saw him quite a few times. Cause, yeah, I was at that one. <clears throat> but that was... But that, I remember my friend... He lived in Finsbury Park, and Bowie was going to do a Christmas show at the Rainbow Theatre. And he said, don't worry, we'll get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and we'll go to the queue up and get some tickets, because they were on show at 9 o'clock. We got that, and there was a queue going halfway around the block. And I thought, uh-oh. And lucky enough, we saw someone in the front of the queue, who was our friend. He said, come on, come in the front with us. And I had row A... And uh, it was Ziggy Stardust, you know. It was one of the best gigs ever. Foxy Music supported. Blimey. That was that was pretty good, wasn't it? My God, I've never met somebody who was so on the scene as you, actually. Well, the fact that you yeah, went to... Uh... Going to gigs all the time. When you were a little kid, it was like the Rainbow Theatre was very easy to bunk in. Well, yes. So you could see all the bands and stuff. And, you know, Queen, I um, was going to the Imperial College, going to gigs to see the Jay Giles band, because I had a live album, Full House, and it was sold out. So I went across the, one of the classrooms, and Freddie and Brian May said, would you like to come and see our band playing in this classroom? And it was 10 pence. <laughs> and my mate said, shall we? And we sat there, and Freddie did an amazing show on top of the teacher's desk. And we all sat there as like school kids or whatever. 
And what? it was the best gig ever. And, you know, Queen got bigger and bigger. I saw them at the Rainbow, Hammersmith, whatever. But then as soon as they did those Wembley, like, you saw them at Live Aid. Yes. You know what I mean? That was my... And to be, on, and to be honest, I mean, to be honest, by Live Aid and the 80s, Queen had become slightly an embarrassment because they'd played in South Africa, hadn't they? And, um, and oh, they, yeah. And they did that sort of thing of also going a bit disco, which kind of wasn't that great either. And um, I mean, to be honest, Queen in the 80s, because I was, I was an indie kid, very sort of, ups, uh, you know, a bit angsty, moody, depressed, all that kind of stuff. It was what? a bit of a cliche. But, sure. the thing is, but the thing is, you know, Queen had represented everything that was kind of bad in society, you know, they went and played Sun City for the money. They didn't, they played, you know, they, they, some of their songs and their videos, they became a bit irritating. And I was into those bands like mm, The Smiths and mean. Jesus and the Mary Chain. And, and they did, they seemed ir- irrelevant really by then, you know. And then, and when, I mean, to be yeah, honest, when they. The Lake and Park, everyone slagging off, you know, all the punks slagged off all the um, prog rock guys with long hair and wearing jeans and stuff. Yes, but it but it's interesting because I was listening to an interview with Nick Kent, you know, the journalist, who said, you oh, know, yeah. when in the in the sixties he saw the Nice with Keith Emerson, and he said it was unbelievable. You know, it was like you know he was there with his knives stabbing this. You yeah, know, I saw that. <laughs> he saw you know stabbing the keyboard, kicking it over. He said, you know, you've never uh, seen no, anything. You've never seen anything quite like it. It was quite freaky to see, and and obviously. You know, obviously they become Emerson, Lake and Palmer, where they they go around and they employ someone to put the the Persian rugs on the stage, and you know it all becomes know, massive, uh, big lorries and stuff. Yes. So when you because 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 at that point, you know, you you mentioned God, I just I went to Woodstock. That's amazing. And then Isle of Wight. Your parents were so cool. Um, yes. That's yeah, yeah. My father took me to a festival. It was called uh, the Woburn Abbey Festival. I was always a little kid. And uh, they said, get in this limo. I jumped in, and there was Hendrix. And we went off to the Woburn Abbey the, with the son of the, the Lord Woburn or whatever, and uh, we took a load of photographs. And I've got a picture of me with <laughs> Jimi Hendrix. And there's, like, the band there, Emperor thing. The little kid, when you watch someone perform like that, that's what made me want to play the guitar. Yes, well... <laughs> That's quite amazing, because cause, um, in in that world of of the sort of I suppose it, I was about ten when glam came, so obviously that was quite a big thing. And seeing on top of the pops, it was that kind of world of those particular bands. But I luck- do like glam. I think it's wonderful because you think about the progression of rock and then glam, Bowie, and then all that indie. It all links up. So I think it's like a, a real progression. And another thing I must confess now is the sweet. I was a kid and thinking, nah, I like Genesis and Bowie and things like that. And I don't like the suite because they're like for teeny boppers. But I listen to their music all the time now and watch all those videos, blockbusters, like my favourite song. <laughs> well, yes. Did you ever I, see them live? No, I didn't. But I, I remember they were playing at Disc Cornhall many years ago. I'm not sure if they had this original lead singer. Um, but uh, they were they they sort of by the nineties they were playing in small towns and yeah I mean it was kind of um, I suppose no one knew because quite, what was quite interesting you know just going back to that Nick Kent because when he started writing for various people I think it was a magazine called Friends and then the NME he was saying but uh, you know in the 
early 70s, people were still waiting for the Beatles to reform or waiting for, um, yeah, you know, you, you don't realise that you're still thinking, you know, yes, the Beatles have only just split, split up, but they might be coming back. So he was saying a lot of the music journalists at that stage who had been around in the 60s, they were quickly off the scene because they were just still sort of stuck there in the past almost. I know what you mean, because you think about um, New York Dolls. I was uh, at the Bieber concert when they came over, Malcolm McLaren was managing them, and just before the show started, the curtain, there's this, come out a gun, and he shot fire, the gun was um, being fired, everyone ducked down, and uh, I found out that later on that was the launch of the Sex Pistols. (laughs) Blimey. Did you ever see them live, New York Dolls or Lou Reed? To be honest, no, no. I mean, the New York, I mean, I would have I would have been quite young then, actually, and to be honest, getting down to London was quite tricky. I think my first gig, I have to confess, was the late 70s, early, very early 80s, and it was Nine Below Zero. It was pub rock, so there you go. Oh, I was, they're a good band. They were a good band, but, you know, seeing people like... David Johansson, Johnny Thunders, and Jerry Noland um, would have uh, would have been pretty cool, really. So you you were there. So it was kind of interesting because my brother, who's seven years older, he was very into prog rock. His kind of period was the Yes, Genesis, Wishbone, Ash, Barkley, James Harvest. So when punk came along, he absolutely hated it. He thought it was just not music. But you managed to sort of go from the sixties period, and yeah, because I I worked at the King's Road. There was a shop called Boy. And there was a shop further up called World's End, which was Vivian Westwood's shop. And they sold Sex Pistol T-shirts, and we sold all their old, like, bonded trousers and stuff. And all the punks would come into the shop. So they'd come, I used to go see the gigs. Yes. And when you were trying to sort of, you know, learning to play music yourself, did you, were you getting kind of much tuition or help, or, you know, did it come together quite easily? Totally self-taught. That's the only way to do it. I now teach guitar as well, but the only way is to sit in a room with a chord book or Burt Whedon playing the day or whatever. That just and practice. Yes, that's the way you can do it and be self-taught because then you'll get an original style. You'll be your own type of guitar player. Yeah, and I know it sounds boring, but you know scales, do re mi fa so la ti. If you do that for 20 minutes up and down the neck you will be a very good guitar player yes and when i mean as the sort of 70s progressed and you know you'd obviously were well and truly on the scene did you go to the roxy as well yeah we were supposed to play there as the prog rock phil daniels renoir and we got too scared we got cold feet it was a gig with generation x and stuff so we, uh, I'd never actually played the Roxy, but I used to go down there. And I used to go to a place called the Vortex because we hung out with the girl group, the Slits. We, uh, the support group was Sham 69. And they were really good live without, you know, all the skinheads and the trouble before the gigs. Yes. And it was just weird because to go from Yes and Genesis and, like you were saying, prog rock, and then go to punk, I think punk was kind of a breath of fresh air. And then from punk to indie is even, you know, more... It's not new, though, because you know that shoegazing stuff, when you say bands like Jesus Mary Chain, Primal Scream, there are some very good indie 
rock groups like Killing Joke. You know what I mean? The harder time. Yes. Well, I suppose, because kind of, you know, I, I don't know what came first, really, New York punk or, you know, London punk, but there was definitely, you know, you had the Stooges with Iggy Pop and then you had the New York Dolls oh, yeah. with those guys, which was quite early, and then and then the Ramones, and then that world of CBGBs, and, and I know Danny Fields, who was kind of probably very instrumental in sort of promoting a lot of that stuff, as well as, you know, um, Billy Crystal, who, who ran the club. And then also you had other... Clubs as well that was starting. Yeah, I've in... seen um, Talking Heads live. I see Patty Smith live. There's some good uh, American punk groups. That, uh, so in the so, British. So in the seventies, were you based in London or were you going to New York quite a bit? No, no, I was based in London, but because I have an American passport, I used to go go to New York. So my mom lived, uh, family lived there, so I used to stay with them, and I go to all the clubs. I went to Hurrah. I saw the B-52s live, and even John Otway did a gig there, and no one knew who he was. And, you know, that's some core baby, it's really weird. It's really, I went up to him afterwards, and I said, I've come from London, really friendly, lovely. <laughs> yes, they but must have wondered. Americans didn't get it. No, I would imagine, actually. So did you also go to other places like Max's Kansas City and, and the Mud Club? See, nah, nah. See, I would have loved to hang out with Andy, Andy Wall, the factory stuff. But I was friends with Nico in 1985. My mum did poetry gigs with John Cooper Clark, and John Cooper Clark and Nico lived in a squat in Brixton. And I used to go around there, and I hung out with her because she likes beatniks and bohemians. And I'm actually working on a little play or podcast about the time that I spent with Nico in a room a squat and just talking and talking and trying to get her to do gigs and stuff. And I saw her a few times as well, but yes. I didn't know at the time that she was out of it all the time. But. Yeah, well, I suppose the New York scene did have a huge amount of heroin that was going around, so a lot of them got slightly yeah, wha- whacked out. So the New York Dolls, I think from talking to a lot of people from that scene during that period, it was so cheap and it was so accessible and no one really... Thought it, you know, probably just thought it was fine, but didn't realise. Johnny that... Thunders, he was bloody. He, when he did his gigs, he could he rolled up his sleeves and he showed the audience all the uh, track marks and stuff. But he was still a brilliant guitar player. Yes. But uh, on the other hand, Sid Vicious, I don't know whether he was that good performing on the stuff because I think they turned the amplifier down. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he was a particularly good musician, was he? Sid, really. He he wasn't. It was interesting because going back to poor old Nick Kent, he t- he sort of told me this. Well, not told me. He told the story of when he got beaten up by Sid and Jar Wobble when they kind of pulled out a chain and knife and nearly did some ser- oh, yeah. serious damage to the poor old Nick, who um, Is that was the hundred club. Who was quite traumatized, which anyone would have been traumatized by that experience. So as the as the six as the seven as the seventies went on, and you know the punk thing started, like any scene, you know it has a couple of good years, and then it gets a bit awful, doesn't it? Like you know the sixties and even the you know the glam period and even prog rock. Well, definitely prog rock. But then you know the the punk scene suddenly looks a bit tragic, and then you had that post punk world that was, you know, people like um, you know Gang of Four and and Magazine and the Nightingales and the Fall with Marty oh, yeah, Smith. Yeah, yeah, they're good. And um, Patrick Fitzgerald. 
Oh my God, Patrick Fitzgerald. Yeah, safety pin through my heart. Yeah, Classic. Safety pin in my heart, that's quite good. Yes, well, I think he's still about, which was good. But then you also, and I didn't realise this, there was been a bit of a scene of sort of the, that psychobilly kind of mu- music that started. Oh but, yeah, King Cut. Have you heard of them? Yeah, my God, King Cut. But there was a, 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 a band called the Rockettes who were from Essex and uh, uh, Lee Childers, was it Lee... Black children. Oh, yeah, yeah, he he took over. He took them on, and then took them over to New York, and and that's where they hung out with Andy Warhol and Robert Maplethorpe. So there was that kind of scene that was going. But then you were sort of part of this kind of new. Was it new psychedelia? It's not psychedelic. Yeah, yeah. So it was mobs who were fed up didn't want, and I, it was us to say, look, let's not do scooters and parkers. Let's put psychedelic silly shirts on and do trippy, you know, small faces, kinks, all that really, the who, that kind of rock energy. Have you heard of the album Splash of Colour? Yes. Because the Warner Brothers brought that out and Cherry Red had re-released that on CD and it's got extra stuff on it with Soft Boys and it's got Julian Cope and they, they, you know, put a lot of other artists that were around at that time. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, I thought that the movement was really good. It, I don't know why it died out, because none of the bands, like Mood 6, were supposed to be, they were on the cover of Sounds magazine, they were supposed to be number one. But no one really got big hits. Yeah, which was a bit surprising. But then I was talking to Phil from the band, and he mentioned that um, one of the problems is they didn't, they didn't tour out of London much. They sort of played... London all the time, but they hardly ever sort of went around the country. So it was a bit of a shame, really, on that front. Because and also yeah, we that were lucky, we got a support slot to um, Hawkwind, and I managed to get to play at the Rainbow Theatre just before it closed. And I was so happy because I've been, you know, there so many times as a kid, bumped in about ninety times, and to go on that stage and perform and do a support to Hawkwind, who was still going. It's very, they're like, they're called prog rock, but in a way, they've gone beyond that. Like, Lemmy was in that group and all that. Yes, well, I know. I mean, they, they, there was a guy called Simon House as well, wasn't there? He was a very, I mean, actually, there were quite a lot of talented musicians in Hawkwind as well. So, um, and they went beyond. Nick Turner. Nick Turner, dear old Nick. Yes, and who's who's still looking good to this day? I think it's his his vegetarian vegan diet actually. But then, so when did your band? When did you decide to be the band? You know, when did that sort of come together? Well, what happened? Phil Daniels went off into quadrophenia, and then I was going to college, City London East London College, and there was a guy, Steve Council, there. He was really into Captain Beefheart and Frank Zappa. And of course, I was into Hendrix and, you know, rock and pop or whatever. And he said, let's get a band together. And we were playing at a youth club in Covent Garden called The Basement. And uh, we did a few gigs there. And then we uh, started pressing up a bit because we did know that we went to the Alice in Wonderland Club and the clinic and all the Mood 6 gigs. They did a, a party on a boat. Have you seen the film Groovy Movie? Well, I was watching some it after Phil mentioned it and I think I've seen it at various kind of... I know the V&A did an exhibition, didn't they? Um, something like So You Want a Revolution. It was about the 60s and I'm sure they were 
I don't know. I've seen bits of it. But anyway, after I spoke to Phil from the band, I then went, oh, I must go and listen to it and then or watch it. And then I remember all those kind of... Because we were all into The Prisoner as well, weren't we, at a certain age? You know? Oh, I love that. You know, uh, Dan Tracy from the TV personalities, he uh, had a song called I Helped Patrick McGowan Escape. Yes. So were you, were, you, were, you, were you in the, this kind of, I know it sounds a bit strange, but were you in the South London scene or the North London scene? Well, uh, North London, but because I worked at the King's Road, I had a girlfriend that lived there. I was in with South London, all the uh, Chelsea hooligans, but it was mostly gig people that people that went to concerts. And um, the uh, psychedelic thing happened because this uh, pub rock, you know, playing gigs all the time. Do you remember the Clarendon? It was in uh, Hammersmith, and there was uh, the Covent Garden, Rock Garden, and it was very easy to get lots of concerts if you were a band. Yes. And we used to do covers of, you know, like uh, I'm Not Your Stepping Stone by the Monkeys and, you know, a bit of of, uh, Interstellar Overdrive, Pink Floyd. Nice. Did you ever get into a band called The Action who were a bit of a mod band from the 60s? Oh, they were brilliant. Because they were one of those... I like them a lot. I've been getting into their music. Yes. That song, Shadows on the Wall, is very good there. Classic. The group The Attack, a lot of those mod groups like Creation, were wonderful. Have you heard of Tintin Abbey? No. Go yeah, on. yeah. Uh, if you want to get into the rare psychedelic movement thing, there are a lot of groups out there that no one's ever heard of. But, you know, if you try to buy one of their records, it would cost like a thousand pounds or something. Yes. So did they you. Were really good. So at that stage, was this about 79 that you started to bring together the band? 80, yeah, 79, 80, 81, 82. And we were on a TV programme called Revolver. And that was with um, Seizing the Banshees and Killing Joe. It was like one of those up north programmes. And they had a whole thing about the fridge in Brixton and they ran a psychedelic night. And they filmed Mood Six and us. And it was like a documentary type thing. I remember being on that and being very excited. Right, because um, because it is it Andrew who was who was the guy with his partner who I think was called Susan. They ran the Roxy for about a hundred days, and then that kind of because I did an interview oh, with them. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, didn't I know didn't him. didn't they run the fridge in Brixton? Wasn't that their venue? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's Andrew Tchaikovsky or something. Yes. And his wife. Susan. Yeah, Karen. no, no, they were very good because I used to go to the fridge all the time when it was upstairs above that Kentucky Fried Chicken along the high street and then they took over that big building. Yes. Fridge. They were very, um, yes, kind of amazing stories. But yeah, so so when you got your, when when the band formed, did you have a, you sat down and went, right, we're going to wear these clothes, we're going to be this sort of band. And did you have a... <laughs> well, no, because um, the manager of um, Phil's band, Mood Six, they had running shops as well. They had a stall in Covent Garden and they had a shop just off of Carnaby Street called The Regal. And they said, come down and have a look at our stuff. And there was some lovely outfits. So we thought, oh, we'll get dressed up, we'll wear all this. Right. And it was wonderful. Cause, and then uh, Jade, our manager, girl, she started making handmade clothing. 
which was crushed velvet. You know those waistcoats with the mirrors in them and things like that. It sounds and quite T Rex. shirts. Oh, nice. Did you um just for, fast forwarding when you watched Austin Powers? Did you kind of have a bit of a wow? That was us. <laughs> It's our favourite show. Yeah. I'll behave. <laughs> uh, I'll be, uh, uh, it's wonderful, but I think that's a little bit, you know, exaggerated. But yes. I, uh, as a kid, seeing all those psychedelic games, all those rock festivals and stuff, it was definitely London was very colourful. It was swinging. I would imagine you said groovy quite a lot. But then, so so with the, with the band, were you all kind of equal? kind of part, you know, like members of the band. There wasn't any particular person or couple, which often bands are, aren't they? No, no, just... Well, the guy, Steve Council, he did um, a lot of the writing of the songs. But, yeah, we all chipped in. Babe, our lead singer, he was good. And we played leads, uh, you know, a huge aircraft... Uh, aircraft carrier place and it was called Futurama, Days of Future Past. And it, there was Bauhaus there and we were first on the bill the night before the cramps had played. And uh, we looked down at the stage and said, hey, what's all this? Bit or whatever. And someone, one of the roadies at the show said that the cramps had flown in from LA and they straight off the airplane flown to Leeds or whatever and then they shot up heroin or whatever and they were vomiting on stage and a lot of people thought it was a part of their act and so we had to while we were performing we had to mind where we stepped <laughs> <laughs> oh rock and roll the good old days yes nothing like shooting up before going on no, to a gig it was very special and it was funny because we're having this virus thing it's so i took it for granted going to so many gigs because there was pub rock gigs there was Rock, you know, every type of band was playing everywhere, and there was festivals. And it was, I guess we were very lucky the 70s and 80s or whatever, because you know, a lot of you remember any of the free festivals that had park. Well, I can't remember. Um, well, it was interesting because there was those ones at um, Windsor, the festivals at Windsor, which was kind of organised. Yeah, yeah by... I went to that, the Windsor Festival. Because the it... early Reading festivals. Yeah, because I know... Because the I... of Roy Gallagher and Genesis. Nice, because I did an interview with Penny Rambo from Crass and he helped organise it with a friend called Wally Hope, the, the Windsor Free Festival. And I know Wally sort of died in mysterious... Oh, no, Wally's a legend, yeah. Yes. The what mis- about Stonehenge? Do you know all about that? The yes. Festival. The, the Stonehenge with, with, obviously... We played there twice. I played there with Phil Daniels at, as Renoir during the heat wave. I think that was 76, when it was 77, that hot weather. Yes. And then I played there with Miles Over Matter, I think it was 1980. And but but from, really from wonderful yes I think I think it was still quite good I think it got a bit heavy and un, unpleasant in the the latter part of the eighties the Stonehenge festival oh the coppers yeah it was too much well I think also the bikers as well because there was also remember I don't know this is slightly jumping ahead a little bit but there was also the convoy or the peace convoy as they used to call them you know with ah, the people with the crashing Glastonbury yeah they crashed a lot of festivals and i think that's what because in east anglia we had things like the albion fair and the barsham fairs and and those kind of like 3 day festivals which had a slightly medieval vibe to it i don't know if you 
Mm. You know it of any of the characters who were part of that kind of the Barsham Fair people? Remember Willie Jesus, who used to dance naked at the front? Which he one was that? He to a few of our gigs and danced on stage naked. He looked like Jesus. Did you know him? No, I didn't. He had a haircut fringe with long hair, blonde hair. Nice. And I said, well, why do they call you Jesus? And he said, he showed me his hands and he had two holes where the nails had been. I don't know whether he made that or whatever. But he died recently, and there's a big tribute about him and everything. Oh, okay then. So what? What did he go? Did he just go as the man who looked like Jesus, or did he? Was he actually? Did he have? Yeah, a... yeah. He went to all the festivals, all the gigs. But what did people refer and, to him uh, as? Everyone knows him and remembers him. What was his name? But I think I guess when you're a rock fanatic or ever rock person, you always went to the Reading Festival, and you always. The Rainbow Theatre, any venue. Yes. It's like in Norwich, where you came from. What was the famous venue where Bowie and all the people played? Is there... Well, Bowie played at the Theatre Royal on in 1979. Um, yeah, I think that's a famous place, and it were all the rock. Well, not really, no. It wasn't that famous. It's kind of famous for theatre. But he played two nights there, and then he... Um, the, main, the most the most popular place is there's a couple. There's the, the UEA, which is the university, and there's also the Norwich Arts Centre oh, on St yeah, Benedict Street. So that was quite small. And there was, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, Norwich didn't have a bigger venue. So bands who were playing to a massive 3,000 would go to Cambridge Corn Exchange instead. But they we were on the circuit for smaller bands, basically. So the art centre was like three, two, three hundred people, and the Norwich University is kind of sort of, I don't know, 1,200 people. So that's the kind of gigs we got. And the Theatre Royal was, yeah, it, mostly it's kind of, um, well, basically musical theatre, really. The, the work of um, Andrew Lloyd Webber. But David Bowie played there, yes. He played two nights on one show, which was quite interesting, because I did recently yeah, yeah, talk... No, no, I think uh, in those days, a lot of the bands would go out to unusual places. I, I'm living now in Devon, in a top mess, and there's a, a civic hall at the top of the high street, and they reckon that Floyd played there, and all the famous groups. Oh, I know what you might be... In the 60s, there was a place called the Orford Cellar, which was kind of this tiny place, which had anybody who ever played there. And I think one of the members of Jimi Hendrix, the the experience, it was probably Noel um, or Mitch. God, it was... Yeah, one of them. The bass player. I can't remember. I always get them caught. Yeah, yeah, Noel looking. He he put in it... In his diary he said that it was probably one of the hottest gigs he ever played because it was downstairs in a little cellar as it's sort of, as the title, the Orford yeah, Cellar. And um, it was just sweat running down the walls, actually. It was interesting because I met somebody who was, um, who'd played with, um, is it Noel? Um, the, who was in yeah, Fat, Fat Mattress. Who was in Fat Mattress. And they said he yeah, was, yeah, and they said he was incredibly annoying as a as a person because he had a quite a weird he had quite a weird, <laughs> he had quite a squeaky little voice and would just do quite stupid things because his solo albums yeah, were just kicked him out. Yeah, I think uh, I think with that voice, most people would have done really. Um, anyway, I suppose you know Hendrix had to move on, did he? So that was the very famous venue in 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 the sixties, anyway. And I think that's where people like Rod Stewart. And actually, I think David Bowie played there in something like the the, the is it the Lower Third, one of those kind of small bands. Oh yeah, brilliant. With with all that kind of scene. So um, 
God, we're going backwards now, aren't we? So look, so yeah, when the band... You want to talk 80s, yeah? Well, it, well, well, it's fine. I mean, I'm still amazed with the Woodstock and, and Isle of Wight, actually, which is still... Was that the one that Jimmy... It's had... funny, because, you know, everyone made a fuss. I, I, didn't, I saw Bob Dylan, and, you know, just after Woodstock to come to the Isle of Wight, I was a bit jet-lagged and stuff, and I just fell asleep when Bob Dylan came on. And everyone was saying, oh, how could you go to sleep during this set? It was a bit boring. Some geezer in a white suit playing acoustic guitar. Yes. Well, you know, I... bands like The Who, that's exciting. Or, uh, yeah, because actually the people, people like Jim Morrison, I mean, The Doors played at one of those Isle of Wight. Ah, now you're talking. So I see them at the Roundhouse. And the funny story is, is that, uh, you know, Jefferson Aeroplane, Grace Slick. Yes. They were the support act and they had the most freaky psychedelic light show with oil wheels and colours and stuff and as soon as the doors came on Jim Morrison said turn out the lights turn everything off and it was pitch black and you know being a little kid these are coming out in black leathers and black uh, oh no and it was so scary do you know what I mean it was like the first if you want to talk about performer theatric or yes they did Unknown Soldier and they did a drum roll and the guitar held his guitar like a gun. And it went bang and he fell to the floor. And being a little, you think, oh, dear, he's dead. <laughs> Next minute, the lights come back on and he come back and did uh, Light My Fire or something. It was absolutely mind blowing. No one did theatrics in those days, did they? No, absolutely. Maybe Peter Gabriel, Bit Bowie, Alice Cooper. Can you name anyone that did? Like rock theatre? Well, I suppose, well, there was Roxy Music, I suppose. That was the other band. Oh, yeah, yeah, very, yeah. But um, Alice, yeah, you mentioned, yes, that was it, really. I suppose, yeah, <laughs> the, dre- the uh, Gary Glitter, probably. Um, but no, oh, it was. Oh, yeah, he's a. Alex Harvey, did you ever see him? I didn't actually, but I always was quite sort of mesmerised with his performance of Next, which was quite on the Boston Tea Party. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, I was quite I young. We're talking about the 60s because I can't think that that must have been the whole route of going from 60s to 70s. Do you know what I mean? The glam rock and then going to the indie 80s. In a way, it's a perfect progression. Yes. And what we've got now is, like, not very exciting. The last exciting thing we've had is maybe Nirvana or something. Yes, I know. Is there any great groups? It's tricky. It's tricky. I'm, I'm sort of, I, I sort of realise that it, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it, 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 I think Coldplay is a bit soft. Oh, no, God, I didn't go that <laughs> Or old players, we like to call like them. The Cure, they're all right. Yeah, The Cure, but they were sort of, they, they were around in 79. Oh, yeah, Radiohead are good as well. I like them. Yeah. And R.E.M. Well, they're okay. But... I can't think of many sort of, like, exciting... Well, I, th- I think, I mean, obviously Glastonbury's not happening and God knows when it will, but I think a lot of those festivals are going to have problems... Um, finding headline bands actually because I don't think there are those mm. bands anymore that you go yes they are the headline band I suppose the Killers all the way from Las Vegas are pretty big kind of live yeah, band yeah, I, see them. They've got I some... was um, talking about Glastonbury I used to bunk in all the time they got heavy because of the mean fiddler put a big giant wall up yes. so I knew uh, Roy and Emma who did the late night Las Vegas and they said, why would you like to run a stage 
called the uh, Joe Strummer stage. Nice. Did you hear that? So we were the backing band, and we had a thing. Anyone can get up on stage and perform and do any song, and we'll back you. And, of course, you know Lily Allen's father? Yes, Keith. Keith Allen, he come up, he said, right, we're backstage, we're going to do Ace of Spades, we're going to do God Save the Queen Pistols, and all this, so we worked it all out, all the keys and everything. He walked on stage, and he said, right, fuck, oh, sorry, he said, we're not going to do any of that, we are going to do the Welsh National Anthem. And I turned around to my friend Dave, who's from Wales, he knew how to play it. And he said, follow me, and I looked his fingers, and we played the Welsh National Anthem on stage at Glastonbury with Keith Allen, and he was shocked. He couldn't believe it. And we had, uh, do you remember The Beat, the Scar Band? The Beat, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, uh, they played on our stage. We were in the bathroom. And um, it was when the Libertines were really big. What was that guy? Uh, oh. And that was Kate Moss, Pete Dockerty. The... And he was going to get up and do something, but he just couldn't get it together. He can get it. There was one guy who came to our stage, I said, why are you so happy, mate? He had a big smile on his face. He said that he's in one day he saw Madness, the Specials, and the Beat. Because they're all playing at different venues of the uh, Glastonbury. Yes. Nice. That's good. But, uh, Did you, I mean, just briefly, just going back slightly here, back to the 60s, I'm afraid. Um, did your parents or did you go to things like this, kind of the Allen Ginsberg poetry reading at Albert Hall or the... Yeah, yeah, that Michael Horowitz. Yes. We were a part of that Poetry Olympics. We didn't go to that first one. We did all the other ones at the Royal Albert Hall. We had uh, Ray Davis. Saban Arbonne, and that was a really good one, Nick Cave. And uh, Nick Cave said, I'd like to bring one lady to read her poem. And she started doing this poem, and I thought, this is quite unusual. And it was Kylie Minogue, and she did I Should Be So Lucky. It's a serious poem, and everyone fell for it. <laughs> so funny. Yes. Oh, so your and, parents uh, were... Yeah, so your parents were there at sort of... The Ginsberg one. Did they also go to the 14th? Well, yeah, because my father had a beatnik magazine called um, the Neurotica, and I named my club after it. But uh, in the 50s, late 50s, they had a show on Broadway, and it was called The Nervous Set. And it had all the characters like Jack Cassidy, um, all the uh, beat writers like Gregory Corso and stuff. Yes. And uh, they knew all those people so we were in with you know ken keezy who wrote one flew over the cuckoo's nest oh yes he was a friend of my mom and dad so whenever he came into town or you know when we went to the states we were hanging out with him the electric kool-aid acetist with tom wolf yeah that was it he wrote that book yeah. and i actually went to his farm in that bus the bus. the bus. You went to yeah. see the psychedelic bus that said further at yeah, the front. Yeah, but it was in the swamp and it's all gone rusty. I know. But Bit they, um, who doesn't? Channel 4 did the Equinox thing where they brought Keezy over with the magic bus. With the magic bus. And I said to him, I said, hey, man, we really fixed that bus. He said, nah, that's a brand new one that <laughs> Channel 4 had painted yes. to make it look like the original one. You, would, you wouldn't want to fix but, that old yeah. one. Uh, I'll tell you, all the people in those days, 60s, like, they were much more, you know what I mean, much nice. I don't want to say nice, but, you know, it was more, everyone was friendly with each other. So were your parents, 
were they kind of part of that kind of whole sort of counterculture world that was kind of, I suppose, like, you know, Tom Wolfe's The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test, were they into that kind of world of LSD and, and mind expansion? And yeah, all? yeah, we went to Timothy Leary's house. I remember, I was only a kid member, they were taking acid and stuff, but I wasn't because I was only a little kid. But I remember looking in this room at all goldfish bowls and aquariums, and as I looked into the, see the fish, on the other side, there was a hippie guy tripping his head off. And it was so funny. Yes. My parents, what, what's going on? What is acid and stuff? They couldn't really explain it. They just saw that laughing and stuff. <laughs> God, that's amazing, isn't it? I suppose you would have seen Jerry Garcia and the Grateful Dead as well, wouldn't you? That's my brother, Cosmo. He, he likes them. I wasn't really that into the Grateful Dead. No. Uh, yeah, I, didn't, uh, I know. I know of them. Yes, so that's oh, and just and just one other event: the fourteen-hour Technicolor Dream at Annie Pally. Did oh, you? Oh, fool! I'd like to have been to that. Oh. no, no, I missed that one. But no. I did go. There was a place, a guy called Jim Haynes. He ran a place in the sixties called the Arts Lab, and I used to go down there in Jury Lane. And there was one night uh, they said we're going to do a magical mystery tour. And everyone got on the bus, there were two buses, and we went in the middle of nowhere and uh, went in this tent of Marquee. And it was uh, Bonzo Debar band. Do you know Vivian Stanchel? Yes, and um, dear old, yes, yes, I do. I was just trying to remember what the guy who recently passed away, but I can't remember his name. But um... Oh, Neil Innes. Neil Innes, yes. Neil, good old Neil. So um, yes, yeah. but Vivian and and the uh, the fantastic uh, God, what was that? What did we all listen to with uh, Vivian Stanshaw? The um, <laughs> his famous recording. Oh, uh, oh uh, so Rollins, uh, what's the name? The Rollins and then yeah, like a nutty posh geezer. Yes, that's but the one. Being a little kid as well, seeing them live, they were like they did crazy things, give out instruments to the audience. Yes, so that's all. Yeah, it's like, there's so many great groups I've seen. Because um, if you name some biggies that you like, I'll tell you whether I've seen them or not. <laughs> well, look, but going back to the band, this is, you know, because it, it's kind of an interesting scene, because cause obviously there was that psychedelic world that you mentioned, you know, a few bands, and also Dan. So was Dan Tracy, was he quite in, was he part of that kind of movement? Yeah, yeah, they were uh, TV personalities, and then he became a band called The Times, and that was with Ed Ball, who oh, um, yes. ran Creation Records, I think. He was at one of the speeders there. But um, they used to do gigs. I did a, a club in Soho, the Arts Theatre Club, next to Ronnie Scott's, and Dan Tracy played at my club as the TV personalities. And... Um, it was really weird because uh, they didn't have any roadies and the, it was a basement and there was a big staircase and he had an amplifier called the Selma amp and he threw it down the stairs. I said, you're, you're mad. What are you doing? You're going to break that. He said, don't worry, mate. See them. They can take anything. And uh, he plugged it in and it worked perfectly. <laughs> um, oh, he was a very nutty... Yeah, it was fun though, it was a really nice geezer. Yes. A lot of those bands, do you remember the Barracudas? They had uh, a guitarist called Chris Wilson, who was in a band called 
Um, oh, what's that? Shake some action. They did. Song. Oh, shake some action. Uh, flaming groovy. Yeah. And that's why I followed them. We did some gigs with them, and I thought that they were on top of the pops. They, I think they did have a hit. Do you remember that one summer song or whatever? I can just remember Shake Some Action, actually. Yeah, that was a really good song. And he said that if it hadn't been for uh, the guy from Miami Vice, he had a show, and he put that song on the show, Don Johnson, and it paid for his kids to go to public school. Nice. from the royalties. Well, it was amazing, just on that Mood 6, because they did a song which got covered by Mickey, no, not Mickey, Tony Basil, who did the song Mickey, and that was her B-side. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was quite... Well, yeah, I mean, hanging around. Yeah, that's right. And obviously, if they had oh, signed... Probably... I, thought, I thought they were going to make it big, Mood 6. They yeah. even got a record deal, didn't they? EMI. They were there with the EMI. EMI, yeah. So they did, and they, they obviously made videos and made the film Groovy Movie, but um, then they got dropped and things didn't quite happen. I think there was a phase one moment, and then a bit a few years later they had another phase two, and I think a phase three in the 90s. So, um, I think a few years ago, if you go on YouTube, Miles Over Matter supported Mood 6, and it was the guy Andy, the bass player, he organised the gig. It was at the Water Rat. And it's on YouTube, and uh, it's really good footage of us. We managed to get a mix from the desk, and uh, Steve Council did a psychedelic sort of sex that looks really good. Hmm. And that was another thing I, I meant to tell you, is the drummer who played with us, her name's Jola, she's now playing with Adamant. And because I worked with Joe Corey, who's Vivian Westwood's son, in a fashion shop called Child of Jago. I was sitting there and I walked in with some rolls of fabric and there was this guy doing collages with naked girls and stuff. And I said, who's that? I said, I said, I a man. So I said, all right. And they said, Miles plays guitar in psychedelic bands. And Adam said, right, I want you to book me a recording studio. I want you to get me a gig and I want you to find a band. And I said, all right, then. So, so I became his manager. And we did two gigs at the Scar Cinema. That's on YouTube as well. And it's called the Pirate Metal Extravaganza. Uh, do you like Adam Ant? Well, I quite like his um, kind of, I suppose, the first couple of singles. It was kind of, because he had that uh, incredible drum sound, didn't he? Burundi drums, which yeah, was yeah, quite... And... Was, uh, Malcolm McLaren told him to do that. Yeah, and that was good. And then he, and then I remember there was also Bow Wow Wow, and they were also. Oh quite... yeah, I know that Matthew Ashman, the guitarist. Yeah. They all, they were his original backing group. Yes, they were all slightly interconnected with Malcolm somehow, sort of smearing himself everywhere. So. Um... So are you still based in Norwich? Yeah. So look, wait a minute. So who was who was the you mentioned? Someone was the drummer for Adamant, or did you? Um, yeah, yeah, Yola. Her name is. Yoda Rodovich, and uh, when I got the group together, this is in 2010, that um, he sacked all the members of the band, and he's a funny drummer, I got her in, and she's now done four tours of America, they've played Australia twice, because, you know, he goes out on the road quite a lot, Adaman. Yeah. Just thinks of different names of the tour, and because I, I shouldn't have managed him, because then he sort of like got a bit, he's got bipolar and he went a little bit nutty. 
So I got kicked out straight away, but she's still there. And um, the original guitar player, Will, is there. Rachel Stamp. Do you remember them? What was it? Rachel? Rachel Stamp. They were an indie, sort of like goth rock band or whatever. But he, he plays guitar. And whenever they're playing, I was going to say, if you want to go see Adam Rand, I can get your guest list. <laughs> Excellent. Well, no, one day, perhaps. So when he plays in Norwich, I'll put your name down, yeah? Yeah. So what years were you managing, Adam? Yeah, it was only in 2010. Right. About 10 years ago, 11 years ago. Nice, yes. Because he does, but, um, yes. It he... was very hard because he, he's, he's so nutty, you know. If he'd have been very straight, like Peter Gabriel or someone like that. I had a guy on the phone and he said, American tour of stadiums with Flock of Seagulls and the Human League. And Adamant said, is it one of those 80s revival? And I asked him, he said, yeah, of course it is. Adam says, nah, I'm not doing it. I'm a star. Do you know what I mean? I'm an artist. Mm. I did Jubilee with Derek Jarman and all that kind of stuff. But now, over the years, he's starting to do them. There's a few of those. Do you notice that the 80s is very popular now? Yes. No, they've, they've been doing those ones. Um, well, you know. They, they, wild and things like that. I know. There's, a, there's about 50 people from, I don't know, what's that? Uh, who's the little reggae band? Bando Ballet. There was back there, there's Tony Hadley, and there was, oh, Past the Duchy, that one um, particular band. Oh, yeah, Musical Youth. I, musical, I think actually there's, <laughs> only, there's only one of the members left because they all, you know, uh, but that's uh, good enough. And there was, we've got a fuzz box and we've got to use it. I mean, they just kind of literally, I mean, there's a kind of, yeah, they've had those in Norwich, which are good. So look, going back to your band, though, so you, because you, you lasted, into the 80s for about three years. So what was the kind of general narrative? Because cause having done this show for a long time, you know, most bands have a five-year narrative. They get together, practice. Uh, John uh, Peel John Peel gives it... Like Pardon? Four years. I can't remember long. But what happened, the lead singer, the bass player and the drummer said, no, we don't want that lead singer, his ego, his lovely guy, Babel. And then so they got rid of him, and he joined a few of the guys, they were called Empire, and they were Billy Idol's backing group. And, um... Who was the, who was the lead... We who... fizzled out, we tried to get a record deal with Warner Brothers, that didn't work to anything. Yes. And uh, it just all went a bit pear-shaped. The keyboard player went back to America, he's a New York guy, and uh, just fizzled out. Because, you know, it's very hard. A lot of rock bands, This, I take my hat off to anyone that can be in a band with the original members for long because, you know, you get on each other's nerves, don't you? Well, that is generally the... the well, what normally... What I find from the 80s is that, you know, they have a five-year narrative. <clears throat> they have a year, you know, getting it together. In the, in the 80s, there was a lot of unemployment, so there was a lot of people who were signing on, you know, with... Job Seekers Alliance and Enterprise Alliance. And then John Peel would give it a play. Then they'd get a John Peel session. There was a lot of, you know, like every town in the in the country, you know, had a venue, a, you know, alternative night. So people would get gigs all up and down the country. So everyone loved it. The first album, things were going well. Then the tricky second album, I know it's a cliche, but by then 
everyone's getting in on each other's nerves. And also there's a complete lack of money, which uh, means that suddenly, suddenly there's a conversation that comes out which everyone's feeling a bit irritated by. Is that Ego as well. Ego, yeah. And um, somebody, I know I spoke, I mean, it's a kind of a tricky one, but, you know, sometimes somebody says, well, why aren't I included on the songwriting? It's like, well, you don't do any songwriting, so... Um, but then they say, well, I contribute to the, you know, guitar or bass and someone else says, oh, go away. I do think that all, if you're in a band of four guys and all four guys should share it or whatever. But, you know, unless it's Nirvana and Kurt Cobain wrote all those songs, then he gets it. Yes. Uh, so what was the whole. So who was the lead singer of the band? Well, it was the first guy we had, Babel Wallace. It was really good. He's on the Special Colour album. He sings Something Happening Here and Park My Car. And then the bass player, Steve Council, wrote those songs. Yes. He uh, said, I'm going to have a go at doing lead vocals. And, of course, we did it without the lead singer, which I think was a bit of a mistake because the guy had a good voice. And the, uh, we, did, we tried that. Warner Brothers didn't sign us. We didn't get anywhere and we go up and down the country doing loads of gigs supporting Hawkwind and supporting Mood 6 and stuff and it's just you know when you don't make it it's very hard to stay together because you know there's no money no one's got anything yes and they were drinking or taking drugs or whatever and yeah did it split the band up and especially the steve's uh girlfriend jade she was the uh manager of the group so if you can, it's a bit like spinal tap have you seen that film oh god yes a lot yeah, yeah. <laughs> the girlfriend becomes the manager excellent that that's a, that's a recipe for disaster isn't it really yeah i know that's what happened to us it was so funny you know, all those things in that film Yes. So did but you... That was good. We did do some big gigs. We did Zigzag Club. We did Gossips. Um, loads of, you know... I think there was one at the... Uh, in, it was in the Face magazine. It was uh, one of the Mood 6 gigs in uh, under the arches under London Bridge. And, um, you know, Mood 6 did you... some really unusual gigs. They played at London Dungeon. Yes. I'll tell you about that. No, he didn't. But he, I think he was just a bit disappointed they hadn't played more outside London. You know, they were, <clears throat> they were well known in London, but their kind of touring around the country didn't quite happen for them. So I think he was, you know, when he was talking about it, I'm sure he, you know, it's not a major... Yeah, more up north, the better it is. When we uh, turned into... That's what happened with Miles over Matt. We turned into a band that was a bit like... Guns and Roses, it was called Jack of Hearts. And Steve Council started doing rocky, rock, heavy rock mix, you know, melodic, whatever. Yes. And we toured Scotland and we played at the Isle of Skye and we played all over uh, Birmingham, up north, everything. And it was another one of those back of the van, everyone getting on each other's nerves. And uh, we were supposed to get paid for it. And I said to the lads, where's the money? And they said, oh, sorry, we spent it on alcohol. And I said, I don't drink. And they said, well, I'm sorry, mate, it's your fault. <laughs> you know, stuff like that happens, it's, it's a bad duck. Yes. So did you, did you have a moment when the band 
you know, said, this is it, this is the end, to quote Jim Morrison. Not really, she's not that bad, they just fizzle out, you know, like the bass guy gets very high and you do a rehearsal. That was one thing we had, is that the specials had a number one hit song called Ghost Town. Yes. And uh, the, the producer of that song, John Collins, said, I've booked the Roundhouse Studios for you guys. And he came to see us and he said, we're going to do that song, My Father's Name with Dad. It was a group called The Fire. Uh, his cousins, is, he was in a group called The Scrolls. And uh, so we get there and we're waiting for the bass player to turn up. He never turned up because his girlfriend wasn't involved. She was the manager and we didn't tell her about it. And I said, well, so what? Just come down. And now, you know, 30, 40 years later, he said, why didn't you just grab me and take me to the studio? I'd have come down. You know, shit like that happens. You know, you get really upset. Yes. Same with that band with Phil Daniels. It, we said to him, look, we've got this group. Do you want to do Quadrophenia or be in this rock band? And he said, oh, I'm going to do Quadrophenia. And I'm so blaming, do you know what I mean? Because that's a really famous film now. Yes. It's a lot to do with <clears throat> ego and whatever. But I don't mind. We made some good music. Yeah, absolutely. So then, so what happens to you, you know, as, as you know, you've got a phenomenal CV on the music front and you've been in the band. So then as the 80s, because obviously you must have seen a lot of bands doing their thing. I mean, for me... Yeah, yeah. Have you heard of a group called Alien Sex Fiend? Yes. Right. I After I left Mother Matter, I was in a band with the lead singer of the group. And I went to New York with a demo tape, and I had some gigs arranged at Hurrah and all the hip New York clubs. They loved us. They liked his image, you know, because he looked kind of like Alice Cooper or something. And I came back and said to him, right, we're ready to go to do this tour of New York. And he said, I've changed the lineup. I've got rid of the drummer, and I'm going to have my wife playing keyboards. And we're going to use electronic instruments. What? What are you talking about? And, <laughs> and I should have stayed cool and kept my mouth shut. He wanted me to go to Japan. And I was so upset. Cause what would you rather do, New York or Japan? I would, I would do... Well, actually, I'd go to New York. Yeah, it's nice to do both. But, of course, egos and whatever, things like that, I said, oh, forget it, mate. You know, you go play gigs with your wife. And they're quite famous now, do you know what I mean? Yes, Mr and Mrs Fiend. I, I like that, actually. And I've just been doing lots of demos, recording. I've been working with singers. A, a girl called Rachel Morris. She was signed to Factory Records. Do you know Anthony Wilson? Yes, dear old Anthony. Right, they... he got her in the studio with Swade's guitar player. What's it, his name? But is it Bernard? Bernard Butler. Yes. Yeah, and they were going to be really big. And of course, he said, look, I'm leaving Swade. Why don't it her backing group, Hopper, they were called, and they got a record out on Factory Records. But uh, I've been working with her. I did a, quite a few demos and stuff. And I told you about Vivian Westwood's son, Joe Corey. 
Yeah. He did a whole music department thing where he wanted to have girls because he was selling Snickers, Agent Provocateur. Oh, that's and I got yeah. three girls. We made a documentary at London Fashion Week talking about, you know, lingerie and things like that. And I wrote some songs. Uh, I've been doing a, 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 that actually got me a PRS uh, membership because it was on a Channel 4 TV program. Oh, splendid. And, yeah, so it's called Keep Show, but it's not the uh, comedian one. It's that David Mitchell teaser. Yes. That's on me. I'm doing odds and sods, bits and bobs. So how did you cope? I mean, after yeah. your so after your alien sex scene, did you sort of look at the sort of indie world and think, oh, we should have been there, or the dance scene that came, yeah, yeah. or Brit pop? Did that all feel a little bit frustrating? Yeah, yeah, because it was a little bit soft. I was always working with sort of like people that were a little bit different. I got into sort of like neo cabaret movement. I don't know if you know about that. It's like poetry and weird performance art type thing and um, we had a club called Club Neurotica and after the 80s uh, the 90s happened and I started doing illegal raves you know acid and the jungle and all that yes techno we did the uh, parties in Hackney and in Brixton and they were illegal warehouse type parties we had a room to the side. There was a, always a small room called the chill-out room. And I did a little DJing. We had bands playing as well, but the, I'd play things like the Batman theme and the monkeys and, you know, really Hawaii Five-O, really unusual Thunderbirds music like that. And that was happened just running nightclubs. Yes. I got to a point where I was thinking, right, I, there ain't no good clubs around. Then no one's booking my band, so I'll just start up a nightclub. I did the um, a place called Art Action, which is in Euston Road, the Green Man in the basement there, and the, uh, the Bull and Gate. You know that Kentish Town. Yep, I've got that one. Loads of venues, and we were at one point running like four nightclubs in the world of London because that was the great thing about the eighties and the nineties is that there were so many nightclubs that you could go to. I know. Yeah, so we remember the Bat Cave? The, the Bat Cat Club? Yes. Yes, God. Well, actually, a bit, you know, I, I need sort of know because I've sort of heard and read about it. I didn't really go to many of these clubs in London. I went to a lot of gigs, but I didn't sort of... I wasn't particularly a clubby person, I, I have to confess. But that's life. But then, yeah, so... So with all your knowledge in, in the music, I mean, have you ever thought of doing a book? Because, frankly, you... you... Yeah, I know. asking me to write that book. I wrote down a list of all the things that happened to me, and uh, I've lost that list. I think I've mentioned quite a few already. And the, the play about Nico is the boy, is me. So all those stories I told you, he uh, repeats them to Nico and she's sort of strung out on the heroin or whatever and she's like falling asleep and goes, you going to do what I said? <laughs> she's falling asleep or something. Well, yes. So did you... And, uh, did... I will eventually definitely get around to it. Yeah, but you I've must... I've been doing bits and bobs and mentioning about the guy who runs the uh, Rainbow Theatre uh, Facebook page. 
I've been telling them all the stories about bunking into concerts and stuff. Yeah, I mean, that is quite uh, extraordinary. And I guess you must have got an amazing archive. Because, I mean, you've got such p famous parents as well. You know, they were obsessed with famous people, but they weren't that famous because my father, Jay Landerson, he uh, became a book publisher and he didn't really have a big success. And my mom, doing her poem, poetry, and those two jazz songs, I, I sometimes collect a couple of hundred dollars or whatever. But she said before she passed away, you'll never have to work a day in your life ever again <laughs> because of her royalties. But we were waiting for someone like Madonna or someone really famous. You know, who's it? Uh, Taylor Swift, Millie Cyrus, all these groups. They, one of those girls sings my mum's song. And I've made it or whatever. I've been the life of luxury. But at the moment, yes. I'm working at Morrison's, their checkout <laughs> in Devon. If you ever come down to Devon, it's a place called Top Mess. Yeah. It's full of new age, vegan. I don't want to say the word hippie, but they're like really open-minded people. Yes. So that's where I've settled down. Nice. Blimey. London's a bit agey. I like Norfolk. I may come if I ever move out. I would, do you know Roy's of Roxham? Oh, yes, I know. It's, well. um, near a place called Hofton Hall. I stayed there at a cottage. And it was beautiful. We went to, um, where's all the boats? Norfolk Broads. Around there, I got you. Yeah, I know. Whereabouts? What town are you in? Norwich. We're we're Norwich bound. So there you what go. What's the city where the cathedral is? Yeah, that's it. Right. A fine city. Very that's... nice place. I went to the uh, shopping centre. You know where they got the Coleman's mustard place? Yes. You in there? Yeah, I've been there. I like that. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a nice, it's, uh, it's it's full of history. I mean, God, there's so many churches and uh, old streets and cobbled streets. And, you what's know. the famous band that comes from Norwich? Well, <laughs> I don't know. There was, the, there was a few. There was things like the Farmer's Boys, the Hicksons, Serious Drinking. God. That's I mean, it, the Hicksons. The Hicksons with Charlie Hickson. So um, that was the kind of 80s. There's been a few other bands who have done bits and pieces, but nothing. I mean, Norwich has never had that kind of band that's been like, wow. On a globe. Oh, you've got what's his name? Alan Partridge. We have got Alan Partridge, and frankly, well, he's, <laughs> but he's slightly from Manchester, but you know. Uh, no, it's too good. It's all good stuff. But look, this has been fantastic. Well, thank you for your time. I mean, your stories are. You're welcome. It's been really good uh, talking to you. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm just. Will I be able to have a listen to this? Yeah, well, now? what I can do when I um, put it together, I can just send you a, a link and then you can. Put it on your social media platform sites or whatever. No, yeah. that'd be brilliant. I've got 5,000 followers, so I'll tell them all to tune into your show, yeah? Yeah, oh, well, I'll, I'll just put it in and, uh, and um, yes, hopefully it all makes It'll a bit of sense. Laugh. And definitely look up that Splash of Colour. Yes. Warner Brothers. Splash of Colour. And it's a song, the big song that we had was Park My Car. Oh. That's the title of the song. It's quite big. And I know New Ticks had a big song um, hanging around in Plastic Flowers, wasn't it, or something? Yeah, Plastic Flowers. Well, not hit record, but... It was good. It sounds yeah. good. And, and actually, right. Something's Happening Here is probably the fave, isn't it? Yeah, that's our one, yeah. That was our more dance one. But we wanted to make it more, you know, psychedelic. Yeah. 
Well, psychedelics always good. Anyway, look, Miles, that's been great. Lovely Th- to talk to you. Yeah, take care there and um, keep in touch. All right, take care and uh, uh, speak to you soon, yeah? Very soon. Take and care. We'll talk to each other on Facebook. Let's do All that. Right, take it easy. Right, bye. Bye-bye there. Cheers. Yeah. And that is how you end a conversation with, with great um, precision, really. No, you don't. You just waffle. Right. That is it. The end. As Jim Morrison said that. And that was me in conversation with Miles Lansdon. If uh, this has been David Eastall, the C86 Show, if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. Keep it positive and groovy. <laughs> And also, I've been doing all these interviews for years, and you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. Check it out. They could just change your life. (laughs) Okay, look, it's late. I'm going to bed. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.